The following was recorded before a live studio audience. We have intro music we we're going to try and play. We can't actually play. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome <laughs> to the Overrun Podcast. I'm Dan Schwester. I'm Ed Bowder. Mike DeFilippo. Kevin Mazza. Jess Mastercola. Anna Ryan. And we are doing a live recording in Atlantic City. This is our 50th episode. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And today we're going to talk about how new media is going to affect education. Um, as we are at a conference, we establish we have no financial uh conflicts and all that kind of stuff. Now so you have to make money for that. We don't make we money. <laughs> we make no money. We, we don't make no my wife in the back. <laughs> Kevin here, I can be bought. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about today is how education itself is going to change, how technology has an influence on that, um, our ability uh, to use technology to kind of outstrip what we're doing so far with education, and how far we can incorporate these ideas into your educational program or in your own personal education. So we do have learning objectives that we have to talk about. We're going to talk about why lectures are considered suboptimal, what new media is. And as you're all sitting here watching a live recording of a podcast, you should be aware of what new media actually is because that's what we're doing. Um, we're going to talk about what's called free open source medical education, which is abbreviated as FOMED, what that does, what it won't do, and incorporating FOMED into EMS education. So... The crux of what we're talking about today is that, as far as education is concerned in medicine and not just EMS, is that we're kind of at an intersection with how we're going to teach. So what do we think about traditional learning methods and how we're actually challenging them, or do they work anymore the way that we Well, I don't think they work at all. Well, tell us more, Dan. <laughs> Would you care to expound <laughs> further? He's very passionate Edward. about this. Um, and think about it, like lectures, you know, the old ways we've done things, textbooks, all of these things that we've traditionally held as sacrosanct, as the things that we really need to have, we're finding that it's not working for us. We're not seeing, you know, um, we're just not seeing it. Right. So one of the biggest problems, and you mentioned textbooks, is that when you go into a class, and we've all been in this situation, right? You walk into a classroom, we open up a textbook, and then you'll have an instructor be like, well, this is what the book is going to say. Here's what's actually happening in reality, right? So one of the problems with textbook learning is that the textbooks typically are published about, you know, five, ten years before the new data comes out. So we're already learning old information by the time we get the information to us. So we have to worry, like, you know, is there... Is there a way to get new information out as opposed to just reading it through a textbook? So if I have a book in front of me and it says, you know, this is how you would treat this patient, say, you know, it's a chest pain and we're going to give morphine, right? We haven't given morphine for chest pain in 10 years, 15 years. Oh, at least 15. So if you were just exposed to that textbook, that's all that you would know. So how do we actually try to adjust that model? I think one of the things that I liked in particular from uh, medical school, for example, that I found worked very well is the flipped flip classroom style learning. So the initiative is on you, the learner, to actually go out and explore these topics. So you're given the topics that are going to be discussed tomorrow in lecture, for instance. So chest pain management would be an example. And in medical school, you're just given chest pain management. You go online yourself and you Google or use whatever sort of search media, uh, FOMED, Twitter, Facebook, friends, family, and you say, hey, how do you manage 
chest pain or what is your project doing for chest pain or how does your ED or hospital manage chest pain? That way you kind of get like an amalgamation of data and you're not just stuck with one textbook that may or may not be written by a biased author with outdated information. So that's, in my opinion, I think a good way of going about it and that's where like I think EMS education is headed, especially in the era of FOMED. Um, so that, that would be my suggestion. So, Anna, if we were going to try to flip a classroom, we we're going to try to get new information out to the students, how would, if I'm running a program, how would I start that? Well, first we have to kind of ditch the idea that the instructor is like the end-all be-all of, you know, any kind of information transfer. So that sage on the stage kind of uh, mentality is no longer effective. What we're supposed to be doing is a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, kind of checks and balances sort of uh, education transfer. So where Mike was saying about um, the onus being on the student to get the information and be prepared to have the critical thinking challenge uh, when they come into class, that's supposed to be the, the, the structure itself. Yeah, I think uh, one of the big paradigm shifts in education, which I think some of you may experience from lectures you've done, is having the quote-unquote lecturer be instead of facilitator of discussion. So you could be going to a class of, let's say, like 10, 15, 20 students. You may do small breakout sessions with a lecturer at each like five or 10 group of students. And instead of that instructor sharing knowledge, instead it's each student sharing whatever they learned. And that facilitator being being there to say, okay, that's correct, this is incorrect, or this is a good way of how it could be implemented from my personal experience. That way, your learners are engaged by thinking how would they approach this themselves, and the facilitator is there to make sure that it is actually an appropriate uh, way of, of learning the material, and it's not something that's incorrect. So the technique is uh, for that kind of an approach for education is actually called the guide on the side. Uh, so what it, basically what you're doing is you're allowing the experience of the uh, instructor to overlap into the actual information that's been essentially ac uh, accumulated by the student themselves. So it's the critique, it's the, this is a good way of thinking about things and that kind of thing, but I have 15 years in the field, so I should be able to also kind of guide you towards a new way of thinking instead of just textbook analogies. So let's talk about the lecture model for a while because it's something that we're all kind of familiar with. But the actual lecture model goes back to oh, to Rome and Greece. That's absolutely having in ancient times, right? Having someone stand in the middle of a circle and just being like, "This is how you should learn things, and this is what I know," is the oldest model of education that we have. And in 2019, you would think that since we have smartphones available to us, I don't need to actually sit in a room and listen to someone talk to us, despite the fact that currently we have a group of people sitting in a room listening, listening to and talking talk. to us. Irony. <laughs> Hi, everybody. So, Mike, I want to talk to you about this because this is something that you and I have experienced, and Jess, I want you to jump in on this too because you might have a, a, an opinion on this. Um, Mike, how often have you gone to lecture in medical school? Uh, zero. My, my <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. My, so medical school has kind of been on the cutting edge of changes in education. Um, so traditionally, you would think medical students sit in a giant lecture hall getting lectured at all day and they you know, lose their life, et cetera. Um, my first two years of medical school, I made my own schedule. All of my lectures were recorded. I was able to choose what topics I wanted to spend more time on. Um, I spent my first two years of medical school in a t-shirt and boxers sitting in my apartment uh, getting fat, I don't, sipping I don't coffee. I know if I like that vision. It's the best visual we've had <laughs> no, so far. No. You're welcome. To, to be fair, to be fair, this is like your Not everyday now too. That so. is oh, also yeah, my everyday it's now. It's a real change from. Um, so I mean, they've really gone towards uh, truly putting the initiative again on the learner, and I think you're starting to see that. I mean, when I was going to paramedic school. Uh, they were just rolling out online paramedic school uh, in a way that it was kind of approaching it that you would be responsible for these topics within a certain amount of week as opposed to going to a class every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday and sitting there and, and you may or may not be absorbing anything that's going on. 
Um, so, and that's, that's something I, that I agree with. I, I've also had the experience where I don't go to lecture in medical school a lot either. But Jess, when you were going through nursing school, did you have a hybrid component? Did you, was it all lecture for you? To so I'm sure each nursing school is different, but right. the one in particular that I went to had either you had an in-classroom program that you attended or there were students who did the online hybrid where they did everything online and then all their skills they had to come to the actual college for. I chose the in-person lecture mostly because I had never done an online lecture. Um, but what ended up happening was after doing the in-person one and finding that I wasn't learning well, I actually stopped attending class and used the online material that we all had access to. Right. I just didn't have to do the online, like, oh, I have to do a blog post or I have to answer someone's post and like, I didn't have to do that part because I was signed up. Right. That sounds like the best of both worlds yeah, where you don't have like actu- a forced worked out very well for fake me. interaction. Like, oh, God, I have to reply to two people who I don't even know. I've never right. seen before. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you've taken any online classes, particularly well, an English course. Well, I was, you know, and we're going to make fun of my age now at this point. Uh, but I, I actually grew up in that whole lecture system. My EMT class, my paramedic class. Uh, was all lecture based and it would it was the sage on the stage it was the instructor at the head of the room there was powerpoints it was repetitive it was it was bore it was it was boring into your head and it was boring for your head um i don't respond to it i doodle i was looking at other things if i had had a cell phone at that point i'd have been on facebook um i was always on facebook it's I learned it's nothing. just that, you know, there's so many other ways to pick up information. And, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, there's new demands. You know, we're, we're, our family and our personal demands and our job demands are so stringent nowadays. We have so much things going, so much going on in our own lives. Do, does anybody here actually go to the library and study? Does no one's there's, there's no hands up for the people who I mean, are the teacher who are doesn't listening. in the back does we, we aren't we aren't in we're, we're in an audio format you know, does, <laughs> does anybody actually you know re sit and read a textbook do you have time for that in your in your world well i mean if you do that's great but i don't i have two kids i have a wife i have another job i have i have this you know <laughs> I thought I you were gonna say i have another wife <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, but so but it's actually a good point about going to the library and and you know reading where that even that paradigm has kind of fundamentally changed where I know right. just speaking for myself the the library that we have at my institution is there's no I mean there's a small section of books but all of our books are online. Right. So you can just, you know, like most of the students have an iPad or some sort of comparable tablet and there's really no reason to have like an actual book. Where I know that there's there's programs till you know today that are teaching EMT and medic programs where you get a hard textbook and there's nothing against you know there's nothing wrong with having an actual textbook. It's a great self defense item <laughs> to hit someone okay, over. I got fifteen hundred pages of thunder for you right here. Um, Nancy but, Kerrigan wants a word with you on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, like it's 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 a tool that you can use, but I don't know that it's I don't know that's any longer needed to be like the central tool for how well, the education works. Well, and think about works. textbooks when they come out, and we've we've talked about this, and we've said this in other shows. Your textbook's ten years behind, because by the time it gets read, by the time it get or by the time it gets printed, by the time it gets edited, written, researched, you're looking at ten year old stuff. Okay, we don't move in a world where we can look back ten years. 
We need to know stuff now. We need to know the information now, and it needs to be relevant. and And our patients demand it. Our the people we work with demand it. I mean, Facebook likes to remind me what I was thinking ten years ago. <laughs> is that not? Is that horrible? You just said we can't look back ten years. But Facebook none of that likes is to remind the cardiac me. Cardiac lecture you went through. Uh. <laughs> so there's that. I mean, it does pop up. We're like, hey, I remember I was at this. Uh, I was at a refresher course six years ago. That, that, that'll come up from that time to nice. time. But so, it, as far as this paradigm shift is concerned, we talk about you know we have you know issues with the, the necessarily like the the curriculum, the material that we have. But the other thing is, it comes upon us as instructors to stay up to speed on the data. And since we're in, a, there was a time I think 25 years ago where you could read a new textbook and kind of have an, like new input on you know what new treatment protocols or whatever else. But I also tend to think now that because we're in this information age, we have all this technology coming at us you know, all at once, it's difficult as instructors to stay up to speed on the data. So if you're an instructor, how do you try and keep up with all the stuff that's coming out you know, each day? It's hard. I mean, there are literally papers every day. There's so much stuff. I mean, you know, it's funny because you know, you, I, I interviewed Dr. Merlin a couple times, and he's like, oh, I read 60 papers a day. I'm like, you're what how do you do that <laughs> how does somebody keep up with that like you know it's 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 almost impossible and you know it, I, you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna argue on that because i don't think it is impossible i think that if you're tuned in enough to your own like core set of of data points i have websites that i'm subscribed to i have journals that i'm subscribed to as an instructor i'm i'm it's my obligation to understand that, like, you know, Jem put out a new article, I have a Jem uh, article that came out, and, like, I get alerts for it. So while my institution will pay for those things, it's my job to apply them to the practice on a day-to-day -day basis and update my students on a day-to-day -day basis and keep my staff updated on a day-to-day -day basis because that's the, the, that's the flow of information that we have available. Okay, so, well, so what you're saying is that I have to modify how I do this. Get on yes. your game. I, <laughs> I, I, think, I think a good way of putting it is you have to be, to be a great instructor in this day and age, you have to be technologically literate. Yes. Uh, I mean, there, there are so many advances in uh, any part of technology you can imagine, phones, computers, whatever, even PowerPoint, that you have to be on the cutting edge now of how these are incorporated into your personal education practice and how your students are going to be utilizing this. I mean, if you don't know how to use Twitter in the age of FOMED, I mean, that's a problem, in my opinion, especially in emergency medicine. Emergency medicine is very much into Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I mean, I was watching a surgery on Instagram on someone's live feed like an hour ago. And like that's a cool thing, and 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 that's something that you can do in an ambulance. You yeah, can listen. Cool. You can read a tweet or a series of tweets in an ambulance that breaks down like a huge research paper for you in three minutes. And like by not utilizing these tools and technologies appropriately, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. And in my opinion, your students or learners at a disadvantage. And I think that's a good segue into talking into like powerpoints and how those have become the devil of education. Well, so the the one thing oh I do want to talk on because we're we're talking about like so how would you get this information right? Typically, the way that we would get information is through textbooks or through whatever. And because there's so many journals that are out there and there's so many online articles, it might be hard to know where to actually start. So there's a couple apps that we use. Um, one is called QXMD. Um, that's actually available, and obviously we have no, you know, endorsements to this. These are just things that we use and enjoy. QXMD actually, uh, you can kind of determine which journals you want to work with, and you can say like, I only want articles from pre-hospital emergency medicine or annals of emergency medicine, and it'll send you articles from that website. And the other one is called Journal Feed, and Journal Feed is a sign-up. It's journalfeed.com. I think we're going to link it into the show notes. And what Journal Feed will do is at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time every day, it'll send you an email of an up-to-date article. 
Now, it might be something that doesn't necessarily pertain to your practice, um, but an example the other day was they sent out an article that came out in October of this year, so like up-to-date stuff, that essentially showed that uh, survivability in the ICU with oxygenation was on a bell curve. So less than 94 and greater and at 100 had less survivability than between 95% and 99%. Now, it's all stuff that we've heard, but if you're going to talk to a new class about delivering oxygen, that might be a way to actually do it. So those two apps can get that information to you pretty quickly. Now, as far as how lectures go and with PowerPoints, um, you'll note that we don't have a PowerPoint here, um, which is something that we discussed doing for a while. But as a visual aid, PowerPoint is okay. But when you look at it, when you think of a PowerPoint slide, what, how, what do you guys typically think about? It's a bunch of words and bullet right. points, right? So does that, do we think that that helps retain information or is that more just you're also reading? Or, or here's, here's a good thing, since we are at a conference, is there anything worse than a presenter looking at a PowerPoint reading slide right from and the reading slides. from the slides as if you can't read yourself? Well, that, that was, that was going to be my big gripe. I mean, I'm sure we've all been to lectures, even probably during this conference, where someone just turned around and read right word for word off the PowerPoint. You're like, why am I sitting here? I could have done this from home. Yeah. You're not giving me anything new. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to take a great public speaking course in college that, that taught you how to teach, essentially, and utilize PowerPoint, how it was meant to be utilized. And essentially, it should be just like anything else, an aid to you if you're going to be proctoring or teaching a class. So, for instance, if I'm giving a class on gunshot wounds or, or wound management, I won't be putting up on the PowerPoint list by list how to manage that. I'm going to be putting up maybe a picture of a gunshot wound or maybe a picture of a wound that's being managed or a short video clip. That way, I'm talking to you. You may be taking notes and you're seeing another visual aid to help synthesize all that information as opposed to just sitting there and going brain dead looking at a block of text which just like kills you inside. It's painful. I think that we also have to take a look at the, the dedication of the instructor that's using the PowerPoint as well. Because if what you're doing is I'm going to put a bullet point up and then I'm going to be able to read from it and like that's it, it speaks to your competency. You have to be versed in the subject enough to step away from whatever visual aid you have and riff on whatever it is that you're doing. But if what you're doing is reading point by point, then did you do your work or did you just make a make a slide? Yeah, are you a slide reader or are you a teacher? Right. I think Can another you, pitfall to the slide method is that you, you maybe you do structure appropriately, have few words and a picture, but you don't do the right thing by expounding further and you know really putting out the information. Rather, you maybe divulge into like an old war story or some other anecdote where it's like, wow, fun story, but I didn't it didn't actually enhance the slide or the lecture in right. any way other than you just telling me right. how remember, awesome you remember were. Remember what PowerPoint was originally designed for? It was designed PowerPoint. to PowerPoint. powerful <laughs> points to make powerful points to augment. Your, your knowledge, and you used it to back up what you were saying, and what does it become? It's, it's, you see these things, these bullet points, and these, you know, these busy slides with hundreds of words on them, and it's like, you know, you're not going to be able to, to get a good result from that. Well, and part of the reason that that happened was, and the, um, you know, I don't want this to divulge into you know, a free market capitalism kind of conversation, but what happened was you had educational institutions that would make their own PowerPoints where instead of saying, you know what, I need you as an instructor to critically think about what this material is, it was, we're just going to put this all in a PowerPoint packet for you. Oh, I and just remember, I remember going through medic... packets and sell them to students for money. Yeah, I remember going to medic school, and then you, um, they would have <laughs> the PowerPoints, and down the corner is a little Nancy Caroline logo, like, that the course, who was putting on the course, didn't make their own slides. This was, no, this is part of the curriculum and the course material. That's fine to use as, like, your skeleton, but you got to flesh out the rest. 
that's anatomy joke for the rest of you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing is, yeah. I, I do think, and this isn't obviously just to, to talk about PowerPoint, but this, this applies to Keynote and all other programs as well. Um, there, it does have a place. So I do think that if you're trying to explain statistics or data or a table to a, to a class, it's good to have that up and be like, here's a pie chart, and this is why 60% of whatever you know, does thing. I think that's important. I think the, the bigger point, though, they're trying to get across is that you really just can't have 17 bullet points on a slide and then go through you know, whatever is on there. I also think that you should limit what's on a PowerPoint to maybe five items. I think that's the and other that's aspect of like what PowerPoint was supposed to do. We're supposed to address the different types of learning that we we see in our in our classrooms. We have the visual learner, we have the audio learner, we have the uh, the kinetic learner, and what essentially this has kind of devolved into is someone who can sit and talk and show like a video or a picture, and we kind of satisfy those kinds of uh, people who will look, take in the information that way. But in the end of it. And we have a graphic that we were supposed to show up, but it was, you know, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, but at the end of a lecture, we have as little as 5% retention. That's what this thing says. Well, I think I want right? to take it from the other side. Take it from the other side, Dan. I, I'm I don't kinky. Really this guy, we don't kink shame on the overrun. <laughs> we never do. How many right. times do we have How to cover this? How many times do we have to do this? But she said your wife was here. <laughs> <laughs> it got weird. So it really got weird. Um, the other side, I'm going to take from the other side. I don't necessarily... I. I don't like putting students into one category of learning. I think when you try to describe yourself as I'm an auditory learner, I'm a visual learner, I'm a kinesthetic learner, I think you you kind of plug yourself into something. The reason why this stuff works and the reason why the new media is working is because it's touching all of those things at the same time. Right. You're never just one. You're learner. not doing just that, one. And like thing. and don't let me don't let me like, you know, misconstrue the idea that like I am only kinetic. Mike's got something to say. He's very yeah. excited. <laughs> Go. I, I, I love data and I love being able to point to something and say this has been studied and there's good science behind it. So there's there's two good papers that came out specifically talking about learning and teaching and, and being an effective instructor and making sure your students are learning. Uh, one was out of Frontiers in Psychology in 2017 by Newton and uh, Mia. Another one was this year from the National Academy of Sciences. And it essentially, both those papers talked about on two separate topics. We'll list it in the show notes, and I can share the articles with you guys in here afterwards. Um, but it talked about that there is actually no such thing as a certain style of learner. So we, we've been brought up with this paradigm of thinking, I'm a visual learner, I'm an audio learner, I'm a tactile learner, I learn by doing or seeing. And while all those things may be true to an extent, you're not locked into one style of learning. If you look at any data or trials or, or publications on the, on the stuff, it actually says people are learners from using a synthesis of everything. So you may sit in a classroom and you may say, okay, I'm a visual learner, but someone's actually talking to you too. You're, you're seeing stuff, you're talking about stuff, and then maybe afterwards you may go to like a breakout session and actually perform those things. And all the data points to showing like it's actually using multiple different ways of learning the material that actually makes an impact. The second big thing is spaced repetition. I mean, we've all heard of programs like Duolingo or you know certain flashcard apps or something like that that uses a certain spaced repetition algorithm to teach you material. And that's actually coming into to big play to it. It's not just going over the material once, but seeing it again at certain intervals. And what that interval may be is different per person, but actually repeating the information over and over and over again is what gets you to know the material. I mean, think about the first time you ever took a blood pressure or treated someone with chest pain or treated an asthmatic or, or done CPR. 
the first time you did it, it's chaos. You're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. You look like a chicken running without a, without a head. And by the 50th time you've done it, you're like, I can teach this in my sleep. I don't even need to be awake, and most of us aren't, the 3 a.m. cardiac <laughs> arrest that we're running. Um, you know, so it's just, it's just coming up with those stuff at multiple different intervals and using several different styles of approaching the material that really reinforces it. So, and let's, let's dovetail off of that because when, when we talk about space repetition, we have someone who has been in practice for say 20 years, we have these alphabet soup courses that we take every two years or whatever. And you know, it's always the same stuff over and over again. So part of the reason that you might be a good provider in cardiac arrest is because you've taken these classes, you know, 17 times over your career. And that's actually kind of long-term space repetition. Whereas this, the new, and the new media that we're discussing are things like podcasts, or, you know, you can do, like, uh, people have their own channels on Instagram and Facebook. YouTube and channels. Whatever. You know, do you guys know who uh, Zubin Demaya is? So he goes by the moniker Z-Dog on Facebook. And he's, a, he's an internal medicine practitioner in Las Vegas. And his job now is to be a social media personality for medicine. That's yeah. what he does. Um, and there's also, there's plenty of other people who actually do this thing. So yeah, he started making parody videos on YouTube. Yep. And it blew up into a world where this guy doesn't do clinical medicine anymore. He is literally... No, that's not true. He actually, he runs his own clinic in Las Vegas. Does he really? Yeah, yeah but... Or is he yeah. like one of these... Is he... But is he the kind of guy that isn't... No, he actually... He, he's, he's, he, run, really? he runs his own, he runs his own okay. clinic. But, but that notwithstanding, what he does is if there's... And he's very good at taking like social issues. So say vaccinations, for example. Or, you know, if there's a, a big, you know, outrage over some new you know strain like you know when like when mad cow disease came around he had a couple things on it but one of the things that he does is he puts it in a way that's digestible to the public so it's a facebook video it's on for five minutes and you can say like oh it turns out that vaccines are actually okay and here he'll cite data so that's something that we have available to us where you know we can take these classes every two years and get all the same material over and over again and do we think that that's something that's helpful to students in general are you like are you learning anything more if you're taking a refresher every two years because you're compelled to do it. It, it does to a point because I, yeah, the repetition does that. help and to get the practice on things that we don't do all the time. And let's be honest, we don't do everything in our scope of practice every day. Dan, you mean to tell me you don't do ACLS all the time? No, not certain aspects no, of it. Not certain aspects of it. No? Well, no. So, but Rhythm so recognition and treatment. Right, but this but this is where the value of what we're talking about comes in. There's you can there's medications that I don't that I don't I, regularly I do think, use that I like to brush up on. But I okay. think that you can take almost eighty percent of that class, whether whether it's you know anything that's put on by commercial entities or really any other refresher class that you're taking. I, I would say almost eighty percent of it can be done in an online or you know distance learning format. And well, then that's you can what's happening now, though. I mean, I mean right. my my last before I left for medical school, my last research of. of uh, ACLS was I did the whole class online and I just went to go do the actual in-person thing at some college in North Jersey for 20 minutes and they're like okay sure but how much of the information was different from what you had previously seen is my point none so but, but, that, but that's kind of what I'm getting at is you can have this you can have there's programs that you have available to you where you can actually edit in and be like so okay we've been talking about using epinephrine and cardiac arrest for 35 years we know it doesn't work but you know just be aware that it's still in whatever. I think without getting lost in the weeds, though, like those 
courses aren't necessary because there are just providers or systems out there where you do not run into a cardiac arrest every day or every shift like some system. I mean, we have to remember where we are in Jersey. It's a very high volume, high acuity system. We have a lot of sick people that get injured and ill in the state of New Jersey. So, you know, we see a lot of these things that you go out to a different state or country they may not see for like six months. So I think those systems, especially when we're talking about creating some sort of national standard need to be in place. But at the same time, I recognize what you're saying. I think that's where I think something like regional medical control can come in and say, all right, I know my medics and EMTs are solid in this. So instead of what I'm going to do, instead of just rehashing the old thing, I'm going to say, okay, these are the advances to take you guys to the next step to say, this is what's on the forefront and changing part of education. So, right. but that goes that goes to speak to what we were talking about with canned courses, though. Well, like, if I you, can add to what Michael's ahead, saying, yeah. um, even in Jersey, I think if you guys come from a project that's very lucky. You get to see lots of different illnesses, sicknesses every day of your career. But I come from a certain hospital that doesn't do a certain type of illness. We don't do cardiac, and. I can say that taking ACLS every two years is kind of important because when we do get that one person who needs to be paced or needs to, you know, be given a amiodarone even, we see it so little that it actually is a refresher for us. Or, or so I think it's just a matter of teaching it correctly and giving it well, but that's, that's to your students t- correctly, right? But that's kind of what we're yeah. touching on. It's, and yeah. this, isn't, this isn't a condemnation of the AHA or any of the classes right. that they no. do. It's more that... It's it's debating the value of having, you know, here's a CD, which it's 2019, we're still using CDs, but it's fine. Hey. Um, <laughs> so here's a CD, and it's got all the PowerPoints on it that you need. It's got, you know, videos and everything. So, and, and this is like we were talking about the distance thing. There's plenty of places that will still actually, use, like, have an in-class session using the DVD when you could very easily watch it at home and still get the same value from it because there's no, they've removed the instructor from it. So if you're going to have a class like that, there's nothing wrong with it, but you want to make sure that you actually have an instructor that has decent experience and has something to say with the material as opposed to just being like, are you ready to be here from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m.? All right, strap in. We're going to throw this video on, and then we'll be done after. What if, I just had a thought that came to me with my coffee. (laughs) What, What if, like, yeah, sure, you have your initial ACLS and then say, like, Jess, at your hospital, you you know, it's not a cardiac center. It goes to your other, you know, center. What if, like, you have the option to take, like, the advanced provider's ACLS course and that still counts toward your ACLS for your recertification rather than having to have these specific ones in order to meet the national registry or your individual state's criteria, whereas, you know what, I know this, like, in and out because we happen in the area. We do ACLS a lot. We do PHTLS a lot. We do PALS a significant amount here, too. So what if maybe, you know, we've done this three times and, like, maybe we want to take, like, the advanced provider course and that'll count toward it because we've already shown proficiency in ACLS and there's not really much more we can get out of it rather than, all right, maybe we could take to the next level and well, maybe a regional medical director would be a good thing for that. that's what we're that. talking about as far as changing the paradigm of right. the actual educational model. It's not so much, it's not so much taking individualized classes and saying that they're good or bad it's saying that the way that these things are delivered can be changed so we have this like we have you know we all have smartphones yes everyone in the crowd yay so we have this kind of thing available to us and that's why like we mentioned things like journal feed where you can you can use this technology to throw in a five minute video and just be like hey real quick when you're doing compressions you should use you know if you use like a transesophageal echo you can actually see where your compressions are and if you're doing them effectively because that's not something that's in standard classroom fare. 
Right. So you can you can update these things like this is why you might need this particular type of technology. It's why you might need this particular type of treatment. And I think that omitting that information is failing our students at a very fundamental level. I, I agree. And I, I actually think one thing that I like from like the physician relicensing program and method is instead of demanding you take a certain type of class, I think what should happen is you're just given an amount of CEUs that you need to meet and you can meet them by any criteria. So to relicense as a physician, you can do all of your criteria by listening to podcasts and you get you get CEUs based off how many hours of podcasts you've listened to or proving you've read through journal articles or presenting at, at local conferences and stuff like that. And I, I one day would love to see that translated into EMS because I, I really think that's like the future of education. Sure. Why, I mean, why couldn't, why can't EMS have a system where, look, we have to have these alphabet soup classes because, you know, your, your clinical people, your medical directors, it, it just demonstrates that you know the basics of what you need to do to get the job done. Right. I, I would like to see a paramedic license or an EMT license say, okay, you're a paramedic, you need a CPR card, you need an ACLS card, a PALS card, and then go get 50 hours on your own. Do your thing. At least 50 hours of education. You can listen to a podcast. You can go do a grand rounds. You can do whatever you want. Just do it. And maybe that's where we do go with this. And I, I think that's where we as EMS educators really need to be on, on the frontier. And in my opinion, I think that's what we should be pushing for. If you're involved in an educational role and you're involved in management, I think you need to put a lot of trust in your paramedics and EMTs. For the most part, I mean, we had those one or two employees that are literally just there to clock in and get a paycheck. They don't care about anything and clock out. But I think most of us, the reason we stay in this career, the reason we're here learning, and the reason most of our coworkers are there is to be the best provider they can be, is to be the best paramedic or EMT or RN that they could be. And that onus comes on putting that power in the student. So if your student wants to do 24 hours of continuing education credit, they can do it in stuff they want to learn about. Right. You know, I, and, I don't and, think you should mandate that, okay, you have to do these three courses plus a course on like a driver's education or whatever it is that people right. do to meet the minimum criteria. Well, and that's, that's, what that's something we can talk about. Employer demands. We, there's a, there is a very easy way to recertify, okay? Um, and test. that's what these <laughs> no that's challenge the test no there's an easy way to recertify and it's by using these alphabet soup classes and what you do is if you're a paramedic in new jersey for example okay you can you can take a two-day acls course you can take a two-day pals course you can take a two-day phtls you can take a national registry refresher course and you're pretty you're darn there. close well, that's you're, that's you're, there, you're there in this state you're that's there. not just jersey that's registered right. right and what does that do for experience and what does that do for the knowledge and the learning of that paramedic is you get the same stuff all the time that's great you know what it is it Unless, meets, but it you, meets but levels to of, a point it meets your expected levels of proficiency right but you, it doesn't mean that you're an expert and I, that's right. a problem i also think i would really like to see a system i mean there are tons of emts and paramedics that go on to advance their education by getting an associates or a bachelor's or a master's degree and in my opinion those classes should count for credit towards your research. I mean, I feel like that's, I mean, when I was doing my undergrad while working as a medic, like I was like praying to God the credits would count because the last thing I wanted to do was sit in a refresher course. And I already felt like, hey, I'm advancing my education to try and be a better person. Like it, it's important to learn how to like different ways to read and write and interpret data and statistics. And those were classes I was taking in college. And I was like, this is so appropriate to paramedicine. Like I feel like this should count as credit. And I feel Does like it, that's something we should Would consider. it hurt you to know that I got college credit 
as an independent study for working. Yes, that does. <laughs> <work>. <laughs> that hurts me too. I, I like, think I think my vampire literature course I took at Monmouth <laughs> should count for my paramedic Do, recertification. Wait a Can we also vampire touch on? Li- hold on, no, 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 wait, hold on. What? Vampire literature. It's a real course I was going to take, and then I ran out of money. So this is Mike. Okay. So Mike and I discussed his vampire literature course uh, on our other show, Med School Medic, um, that you can find other places. We're also going to link to the fan fiction because I got to see this. <laughs> the fanfic. <laughs> uh, well, so can we I'm also touch on how, as a nurse, and I have a fairly broad, like, well-rehearsed field of like knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. I can't research as an EMT for being a nurse. I have more knowledge than I used to as a BLS provider. Right. And that doesn't count towards being an EMT. I have to go research. And that's month. what a traditional, ed- that's what traditional education has done. It's, it, it, it's keyholed us. Yeah. Like, it's, it's compartmentalized us instead of making us an actual team. Right. Right. I mean, and, and to take it to, right. Mm-hmm. It, it keyholes, it promotes silos. It promotes that you're the stuff that they're learning. Isn't as important as the stuff, this stuff. Um, for example, as an EMT instructor, I couldn't use any hours I did teaching ALS paramedic students because, well, it's not an EMT class, but it's a classroom full of EMTs. Well, Mike and I can't use the credit hours we have in medical school right. to, to renew our medic stuff. So, but that's so, and I think part of the problem is when we're talking about how we actually educate our EMTs and our medics, and when we talk about taking these refresher classes, they can seem arbitrary at some point, right? So how do we try and change that, try and mix it up? When we talk about free open access medical education, that's kind of where this comes into. And what, what free open access medical education is, what FOM, it's called FOMED, it's, it started uh, in the early 2000s as a movement when people realized that we can use Twitter to our advantage to actually get information out to students. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It is free, it's open access to anybody that generally has an internet connection. And it, it started out with you know 140 characters in a tweet where you would have these pioneers of social media medicine where they could just post up a thing and sometimes they would subtweet themselves but generally speaking they would just be like did you know that you can use x and y or you know 50 micrograms of fentanyl for pain management is effective period and that's their whole thing and it would at least get a conversation started on how to actually change well first of all i mean let's let's talk about the free part of this and the open access this stuff had traditionally always been held behind paywalls or walls of universities that you had to pay to get into. You had to you had to pay for a journal. You had to pay to, to read this stuff. You had to know how to get it and how to access it. And what guys like um, Mike Cadogan and Chris Nixon from Life in the Fast Lane, um, they started bo- they started blogging. Um, there was a few other people out there, and if you go through Google, you'll find them. Um, but they just started blogging about things that generally were only available to physicians, not even to nurses, not to paramedics, to nobody but physicians. And by getting this out and making it open access and making it free, that's where the explosion really started. That's where this new media really got its start and where the, where the fire took off. And now us, there's a lot of other people out there and more every day. And, you know, you are getting exposed to things that we, you never see. Like, I, you would never have seen a thoracotomy 15 years ago anywhere unless you were in an in a operating room or a trauma bay. You had access. You were, you were in it. But you can go on YouTube and you can find somebody doing a thoracotomy. Well, and just like anything else that, you know, whenever there's a new technology or that comes out, it's always like, oh, we've been doing this forever just in a different medium. And all they did was they took technology we had available to us with you know text messaging or whatever and just applied it to the medical field 
So, you know, I right now I don't live in the country, but I can still communicate with everyone on this panel through, you know, chat apps or whatever else we have. And what people like, you know, like Scott Weingart and MCRIT or Min Lekong, um, what they would end up doing is, and I know we're, you know, we're having trouble dropping all these names. We'll have to pick them up afterward at the end of the show. Um, <laughs> Min Lekong just followed us on yeah, Facebook. So. I'm in. Yeah, so yeah, we're, friend, we're friends on Facebook now, man. Thank you. Yeah, if we're friends on Facebook, we're friends in real life. He knows um, But so what they would end up doing is they would put out this information or they would put out a case that they just had that they thought was interesting or different. And they can ask people on Twitter or on, you know, now it would be on Facebook or on Instagram. Like, hey, has anyone had someone with, like, Mike, you had a patient with a triple mixed acidosis not too long ago. So that's that's something that you could actually ask. Like, hey, I had this really interesting patient the other day. Has anyone ever had something like this? And if you have, what have you done? And you can get this information out across the world to people in many different countries who might have medications that aren't available to you or might have had, you know, a mentor or a tutor that wasn't available to you. So that's how the whole movement started. And then it kind of started to trickle down because it started with medicine. It really uh, started with, yeah, in hospital, right. ICU, critical care guys. It went to emergency medicine. And then it was a short it was a short walk right. across the parking lot to the ambulance. Well, and, that's, and just like everything else, it trickled down to EMS last. Right. We, you know, we're always the last ones to get any information. So the next problem is you can have access to all this information that comes out and then you have to learn how to apply it. Right. So, you know, reading something on Twitter is nice, but if you can't actually learn how to use it or talk to the powers that be to apply it, that's where it gets more difficult. So the first benefit is access. We talked about, you know, Twitter, Instagram, whatever else. So if you're in a position where you see a treatment that you think is interesting or different and, you know, you see something from you know one of these thought leaders we talk about and or you hear it on a podcast like The Overrun and <laughs> shameless, <laughs> plug. shameless plug. Um, but you get that information. How would you actually take that to your program director or to your clinical director and say, hey, listen, I heard this idea and I kind of want to apply it. I would probably do. You just go. I would just go. Just do it. Just kick down just, the door and be like, I've I mean, we. Well, I have I would an idea first. and I demand. Well, to be I would heard. knock first, and 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 it's a way. That's where FOMED comes in. It's pretty cool. It's like you can email your clinical, you know, guy, or you can email your your medical director and say, send them a link and say, hey, this place is doing X. This sounds pretty interesting. What are your thoughts? And it, and it's it's kind of like the the, the icebreaker that gets you into right. starting a discussion. And moving things forward, that's a really big advantage of this. Yeah, I've been I've been pretty blessed in both uh, my shops where I work to go. I have an excellent clinical director. You just kind of go knock on his door if he, or give him a call, like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" I remember going into his office one day, just you know, stopping and saying hi from doing competencies. I noticed an eyejaw on his desk, and we was like, "Hey, are we we do we doing this now?" A couple of years ago, <laughs> we we gonna pull that trigger, and we then huh? yeah, we're, yeah, and then um, just simply just going to my chief flight nurse, and then just simply calling my medical director on the phone, like, "Hey, so I'm hearing about people transporting arts patients in prone. How do you feel about that?" He goes, "If you can do it in the helicopter and not compromise their airway, go for it." I was like, "Well, that was easy, <laughs> right?" I think it's also one of those like you have to kind of approach someone who's making those kinds of clinical decisions from, and I'm I'm gonna go totally against what we were talking about earlier, but uh, <laughs> from the position that like you have a starting point from a textbook. So Salim Razai just made uh, a keynote speech in Wisconsin, and he was saying that the the FOMED world is not a substitute for a textbook approach, but it's an expansion on it. So if I walk in and I say, hey, listen, I heard this thing on, on the podcast or I found this article from Twitter or whatever it is, it's based off of the concept that what we learned in this text is no longer correct and I want to expand on the practice. I think it's more, instead of just being like, hey, I like an eye gel, 
this color looks nice and all I want to <laughs> do is stick it in people's faces like that's that's no longer like that's it I think it's a more professional approach to do so yes well no? I, I don't know that and Slim Rizai friend of the pod by the way shout out um what up, Slim? <laughs> so but one of the things that I, I don't know that foment is supposed to be a substitute I don't think that's what we're actually suggesting I don't think it's what I he was, su- was yeah. suggesting either I think it's a supplement but I think it's right. what he wanted to come into I think well, it's, a, it's seasoning it's it's it is. you know a little bit is really great and it makes Flavor it Town. Right. a little <laughs> spice too much well, is bad. So, but, it, you know, there's always going to be, if you have someone who's just entering the field, mm-hmm. right, you want to have a good base. Like, physiology doesn't change, right? So, have, sure having some... Let me, well, let me paint you a picture. Yeah, but, so, yeah, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah, not, no, the, you're, like, not, you're not going to change the Krebs cycle, so there's no reason in having, like, a FOMED class oh, on the Krebs cycle. Because I mean, it's the, the the, I think about it this way. Like, your textbooks are basically the foundation of your house, and your experience are your walls, your doors, your windows. And then everything you put inside is that your things you learn in a FOMED. Like, maybe you're going to upgrade your refrigerator to one with a fancy touchscreen on it because that's the latest and greatest. And you're just going to kind of keep upgrading things in your house, but it's still built inside that same foundation. Right. And that, that, that's that's like valid. It. You can add like yeah, new things. I, I, I don't know that I trust a refrigerator with a touchscreen. I, I feel like listen. I can. I have pictures, a refrigerator with a touchscreen, and I can look inside my refrigerator, no, and it's awesome. <laughs> no, it takes <laughs> pictures no of what's inside your fridge, so you know what to buy. Yeah, <laughs> it's very efficient. I, yeah, I can look How inside and see. If I need to get that, okay, boomer, relax. Oh, really? Oh, we're going there now. And I don't think I don't think despite Tan's age, I don't think he's old enough. It's like okay, oh, Gen did, Xer. Did you see how red he got? I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so but, a, I am but, Generation X. So but moving, but moving on from that. Um, so again, one of the advantages we have, where you know there was a time not too long ago where you would have to you know subscribe to magazines and hope that a new issue came across once a month. Um, which is just not the case anymore. So you have, and a thing that I always thought was interesting that I like to kind of express to people is we all have smartphones now, and I always thought it was fascinating that the processing power we have on our phones is greater than the moon lander on Apollo 11. Yeah, that is kind of mind-blowing. So knowing how much power you actually have in your pocket, I think is important to know. So you can just Google, hey, you know, if you hear something, and it's one of those things like if you hear information and it sounds wrong, you can Google it and find out if it's right or wrong. So if you hear someone teach a lesson, they're like, hey, did you know that 100% oxygen is actually, you know, it, it worsens outcomes for patients? You can Google, does that do that? It's and just find out. I'm yeah. right there with you. I think it's incredibly mind-blowing that we have the entire wealth, the Al- the lighthouse at Alexandria, light ha- the, um, the library at Alexandria is in our phone, in our palms, and we use it to look at pictures of cats and argue with strangers on the internet. Listen, I, listen, I get don't food. Hate. I don't even know what you're talking about. I get yeah, food. I might be for, yeah, no, I spend a lot of time arguing on the internet if you don't know. Well, and, and that, but that's kind of the you, point, you though. You do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of the point, though, is you, we have access to all this information, and we still somehow aren't able to present it to people. So the, way that, we ha- the way that we have... The way that we, you know, we get information, the way we present it, is going to have to change. And it's starting to work that way more at the top level, but I think we're trying to get it down to you know, paramedic education and EMT education. And at this point, with the technology we have available to you and the access that we have, if you're teaching the wrong information, it's your fault. Like it's, it's yes. a laziness yeah, there thing. Really no, there because isn't you're, just, you're choosing to be ignorant at that point. Right. And that's, that's troublesome to me. I, you yeah. know, you're teaching backboards. You're teaching. So can you know, I pose a question then? So I think a lot of us here, those listening and those in attendance here, then want to know, like, in your opinion, how would you structure the ideal course? So we have all of this information. Like I can think how I would structure an ideal course. I'm just curious your opinion. So, so for me, I think I would totally do what's called like a flipped classroom type approach. I would just tell the students, this is week one 
I want to talk about, I'm just going to use airway, for example. So anything, everything airway, we're going to talk about Monday through Friday. You guys make the curriculum. We're going to make sure we hit what we need to hit. And then you can use anything you want to justify it. So you want to use FOMED Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, great. Make sure there's data from uh, publications, textbooks, something to back it up. And we'll talk about it. And I think implementing that in various ways. So, so what is your opinion on how should we structure then as EMS educators and forward thinkers our classrooms of the future? I think you probably, if it involves reading or anything that they can do on their own outside of digest, you know, to digest that media, you shouldn't be wasting classroom time for it. And this is why flip classroom is so important. The book work, that lecture stuff, all that stuff is done before they get there. So what do you get when you get into the classroom? Contact with your instructors who can identify problem areas who can help you out. You get more time to get more reps in training. Um, because we're not sitting in seats. We're not, you know, they're not, they're active. They're moving around. Um, if you go to Anna's EMT training program. Come on down. Um, <laughs> technically, it's up, but. Uh, uh, it's on but, the top floor of a building. That's why he thinks he's funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if you go there and you watch the class, it doesn't look like a typical EMT class. It's, there's movement, there's games, there's all sorts of things that are going on that never went in my EMT class or never went in my paramedic class. Um, you know, they don't PowerPoint. We just, they just it's not used because you don't have time to use it. They got that stuff outside. They got that stuff at home by whatever media they, that, that was available to them to do that. They do have a textbook, but they also have online resources. And they're also encouraged to go out to the FOMED world and to talk and to find these things. Um, and then they come into the classroom and you have all that knowledge there. And now if you have a problem, if you're not sure on something, if something's confusing, you're there. Um, we just did a refresher class and this was funny because I, I, you know, I am, I'm the Gen Xer. I'm the older one here. And, uh, I hate you, Kevin. (laughs) What did I do? (laughs) You just age shame me all the time. It's just (laughs) pathetic. But, um, he just, so Anna goes, um, hey, I need you to help me out with a refresher, you know, an EMT refresher. I'm like, okay, cool, no problem. She goes, um, don't, make a, don't make a slide deck. And, and I, follow the, I follow the news, like my slide decks, if you ever see them, they're like a picture. It's like five words on a, on a page. That's it. I don't do bullets. I don't like bullets. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? I got to have something to actually the do The twitching began. It made him so uncomfortable. I was, was like, beautiful. wait. But it was, it was funny because this was my first time really going without the net. And I think that's, you know, going back to PowerPoint, like as instructors, I think we use it as a net, as a safety net. And then you're like, well, I don't have that. So what do I have to do? You got to be on your toes. You got to know your subject. what happened was I did more read. I found that I was doing more reading for my section was airway. I was back in, I was back in FOMED. I was back listening to podcasts. I was finding, you know, Dr. Rich Levitan stuff. If you ever want to listen to a guy who knows everything about airway. How many names are we up to now? Was that know. seven, <laughs> eight? We should, have, we should just have a ding. There's a small ding, pile. <laughs> ding. You know, for future podcasts, I'm going to bring the bell. I'm going to, every time we named, I'm just going to hit it just so we know. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, of course we do. Oh, that's pretty good. The BS bell. Yeah. Mike, you remember so, this when we were partners? But, but again, so, so, right, so let me finish. So let me finish. All this. right, all right. Go the bottom line is, 
it made I enjoyed it and it made me a better instructor because I had to think on my feet I had to prepare I had to know the stuff I had to be ready for the question from the back of the room or explain why something was the way it was it's a challenge and it's a challenge to you to it grow was. and it's a challenge for the students to be engaged and, and it I'm was going to dovetail off of what Mike was saying the idea of the flip classroom is what you were talking about is flip classroom model, but it's a little bit more freeform. And what we deal with in uh, traditional EMS education, especially EMT class, is a bunch of people who are used to getting this kind of stuff spoon-fed to them. And okay, I listened to a lecture, now I regurgitated it onto a Scantron, I did it myself, into a CAT program or whatever it is, and now I'm an EMT. Hooray for me. No one ever thought anything. So what you're looking for them to do is expand on the curriculum but it has to have structure because we're still looking at someone who's a vulnerable person. And we've, I've, I've, we've talked about this a whole bunch during the conference and we were talking you know, to, to various educators over the, the course of the last couple of days, but being in a learning situation sucks. And being a student is hard and it's, you know, you're exposed to being wrong and no one likes to be wrong. But the idea that like, I'm gonna look at you and say, in this flipped classroom model, it's your responsibility to get the information. I will show you how to use it and then I will give you something out in the real world that gives you context. That gives the student the idea that number one, they're supported, but number two, they have the free reign to go out and explore. Well, and I think that's the most important thing we can do for students. And also I think one of the important things as an instructor is to at least try and tacitly recall what it was like to be a student. Yeah. Because you can be, you know, 15 years removed from being in a classroom and just not remember what it's like. Well, try I, being, so like, try one being vulnerable as an instructor. I made Danny very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he rose. Well, I think kind of but the thing, being, if you're 15 years removed from being a student, you're not doing enough reading on your own and learning. Maybe not like in a traditional sense of being a student, like sitting in front of an instructor, but if you've lost the mentality of trying to learn every day, I don't think you have the business being an instructor. Well, no, I mean, I think that, you know, you want to try and keep up on the data, but I'm talking about, you know, you're 15 years removed from actually, you know, stepping into a paramedic class or stepping into an EMT class. Uh, no, I, no, I, I, I think it's hard. I think it's hard to be, to have that much experience and... To think like, you know, because you see it often in classes where it's like, this is easy material, right? Which is something that like instructors will fall back on saying, like, this is an easy, easy thing to know. And, you know, with the, the type of media we have available to us, it, theoretically it can be. But if you've been doing something for 15 years, you know, it, it, it's, it's tough to recall how, you know, how difficult that material actually is. And the other thing, too, is like we said, you know, keeping up to date on material, that's also tough. So you will have people who will fall back. Because there's just so much information to keep up on. Right. But dovetailing off of, of what Anna was saying, um, as far as like making your instructors uncomfortable, keep them on their toes, there's a quote that I've always kind of liked, and it's from P.T. Barnum. Um, because one night I started watching The Greatest Showman, and then I got, you know, I kind of rabbit holed into P.T. Barnum's life history. Um, Is that what that's but, about? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Hugh Jackman plays P.T. Barnum. I just it's, know Hugh Jackman's in it. Yeah. <laughs> We <laughs> love Hugh Jackman. <laughs> he's a treasure. He's not from America, but he's, he's a know. national treasure. Um, but so one of his quotes was, comfort is the enemy of progress. And I tend to kind of hold on to that because you'll have a lot of instructors who I'm, I'm comfortable teaching this class this way, and this is how it's going to have to be. And this information right. over and over and over. And you'll also have, you know, and this is when we, when we talk about, you know, using FOMED resources, you know, listening to podcasts, reading journals. Um, you know, Googling things from time to time, even just as a quick refresher before you teach a class, because you may have been teaching something for a very long time and it turns out that it's wrong. And not, not that, you know, protocols have changed or whatever else, but like there may be data out that actually shows that what you've been saying for 15 years is factually inaccurate and no longer works scientifically. 
you know, so there's an onus with all this information that we have available to us to actually using that. So, so sorry. So moving forward with that, let's talk about this. Uh, why comfort is the en enemy of progress? Why you have to be a, a little uncomfortable for personal growth, for growth as an instructor? Um, first off, for me, like my example in Anna's class was really an eye opener for me because I was, like I said, I was working without a net. I had to know my stuff. I had to be on top of it. I had to interact with the students in a different way. I wasn't that person up on the stage who knew everything. I was the person who was discussing it with you and trying to help. We were both trying to help each other. That was a really interesting thing for me. Um, it made it more collegial. And, and it was it was something that I, I'm looking forward to doing it the next time. So and that's with with the ease of information and access that we have. That's something that you can do. It's something that any instructor can do. But you if, know, you're, if you're if you're tasked with I need you to teach, you know, intermediate airway you know, placement for an EMT or advanced right. airway placement for a medic, instead of just saying, like, all right, intubate the patient. You can have a conversation with like, well, it turns out, you know, there's a paper, and I'm just throwing out numbers, but there's a paper that came out in 2018 and it showed that, you know, superglottic airways work better than ETI does. And I found it and here's where you can find it too. Right. You know, or I heard on, you know, whatever podcast that this might actually change. And, you know, there's, there's some podcasts that kind of frame things differently. Um, our friends over at Foam Frad, they tend to do 15 minute long segments. Ding. <laughs> Where, but it, but essentially, and and I I mentioned to to a couple of them that we would be name dropping them, but like what they do is just kind of short fifteen minute segments, and it's more conversational. We'll be like, hey, listen, I I think this. I'm not sure that it's right. What do you guys think? This is what I found, right? And the other thing is that there's there's podcasts that are out there for people that haven't been introduced to them because this is kind of the whole point of this talk. Is it's not just that there's you know journal feed it's not just that there's qxmd there's just there's podcasts that you can get in an audio format and some of them are on video formats mm -hmm. that are actually very easy to listen to and you'll find that you know that 20 minutes or half hour of your day actually goes by faster and you can pick up some information so we do have you know we're, we're lucky enough to be in a position where we have friends of the show you know we have you know tyler christofoli who's Ding. from flight bridge Ding. and foam frat um and if even if you're not interested flight in bridge, hearing, that's another ding Right, but even if you're not interested in like hearing clinical things, um, Ginger Locke, ding, who runs the Medic Mindset podcast, half ding. <laughs> she gets a uh, thing. She's a nice lady. No, no, she, she, we love Ginger. Ginger so, Locke and Medic Mindset. It's, it's the same. It's the same. So, but what? But Medic Mindset. What? What she does on her podcast is she focuses more on how medics think, and how EMTs think, and how we use that process to kind of further our 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 profession. So it's not just about, you know, you don't just have to find something or, you know, listen to, you know, <laughs> clinical information because clinical information can get kind of dry and boring after a while. So you don't just want to stick to one thing, right? There's, sure. only, there's only so many things you can listen to and be like, well, it might be possible for medics to actually float a swan in in the back of an ambulance. It'd be interesting. Mm. But like, it's not, it doesn't actually apply to anything. But it is kind of interesting to hear like, oh, we learn through space repetition because this is how it's actually done. Like conceptually, you know, we, t we talked about space repetition earlier, but it's the way that I've always kind of reinforced it was like, imagine a baseball. Like you can see a baseball and you know what it feels like and you know what it sounds like hitting a bat. So that's audio, visual and tactile. And we all know that you have to use all those, you know, all those things together. So, um, you know, w one of the things that we're interested in is, you know, we're trying to further the conversation. We're trying to progress it. Um, and one of the best ways that we can actually do that is we have to start figuring out what type of audiences to talk to. So 
as a show, um, to kind of put our money where our mouth is, uh, we're going to announce today that we can, we're going to start um, kind of approaching doing critical or CMEs, continuing edu medical education next year. Uh, so we're going to do that in 2020. Um, and we'll be partnering up with Dr. Mark Merlin, who will be our medical director. Um, ding, ding. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. I feel like Apollo yeah. crew at the end of Rocky, too. Ding, ding. And uh, we've, <laughs> we've talked about, we've talked on the show previously. We've interviewed Dr. Merlin a bunch of times. Um, and we've this weekend we've put a bunch of stuff up on our feeds uh, with the MD1 program, but we're going to be working with them to get the most cutting edge information out to you guys as quickly as possible. The other thing that we want to talk about is it's difficult to listen to a show where you might not feel that the information applies to you. So we got together and we thought, what can we actually do? How can we get people to identify with the material that we're talking about? So Anna. When we talked about this, what kind of solution did we come up with? Girl things. Girl things. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided that there was a, uh, an underserved population in EMS. We are in a male-dominated uh, field and where like nursing is more female-dominated, EMS tends to be more male-dominated. Uh, so Jess and I are going to collaborate and cr uh, put out some information about the female experience in EMS uh, and our, you know, the female take on big things like sepsis and epinephrine because just because I am a girl doesn't mean I can't think like a dude. That's not right. <laughs> like a clinician. So we have, you know, we have purpose and we have value as providers in the field and we're, we're going to show up and show you that that's actually the case. The, uh, the podcast is called Glam, uh, which sounds like I didn't want to get away too much from being girly, but it's... <laughs> That's the whole joke. <laughs> so it's uh it's actually uh, stands for the gorgeous ladies of advanced medicine. So yes, queen. <laughs> <laughs> Slay. <laughs> Here we go. For anyone who can't see, I done I done adjusted my crown. Um, but yeah, we're very excited about that. We have some really good guests coming up, and we have some really exciting topics. So look out for that. And so. Oh, we'd love to hear from you listeners, too, what topics you want to hear for continuing ed or just in general that we can expand on and give to you in a nice digestible format of a podcast or blog post or anything. Digestible? It's I'm good. hungry. I'm starving. <laughs> I'm so hungry. So on, also, uh, so like on that note, because we're, we are coming up on dinner time, so the Glam Podcast will be coming to the Overrun Network. Uh, we're probably going to launch the first episode next week. Um, Mike and I also have the Med <laughs> no School Medic. We have the Med School Medic Podcast. Uh, it's pretty much where Mike and I just complain about medical school for ding. about a half hour at a time. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a big It's a little thing. They just met these boys. Medical school? Yeah, by the way, so, but by the way, you're medical students, really. But the, this, but the whole point <laughs> of, of actually discussing this is that it's not like, yes, we're, we're promoting the things that we're doing, but I also want to get it across to the audience, both that are listening uh, remotely and that are here today. If you have an idea or if you have a thought and you always wanted to like get it out to an audience and you're not really sure how to do it, starting, starting a blog, starting a podcast is not a complex procedure. Um, it's something that Dan and I did with two microphones and an idea a yeah. little over a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, and yeah. some alcohol. <laughs> Um, there was a little There's always a little It alcohol. might have so, been involved. So, but, th but this is kind of the point. And is it's that not this, hard. This it's is, really not. It's, it's not a complex procedure. As long as you have a computer, uh, you know, a microphone that costs a handful of dollars and an idea, this is something that you can do too. So if you have an idea or a thought that you want to get out and you're annoyed with some particular process or you think that things can change and you want to try and, you know, implement or foment that change, this is an avenue that you can do it. So it's not just listening to us. It's not just listening to other people. You know, it's something that you can actually do and start yourselves. Be the change. Be the, be the well, change that you want to see. Be the change. That's a, that's a good point. Listen, um, you know, going back to comfort level being the, the comfort being the enemy of progress. 
how are we going to change this for our medical directors, our our, our uh, clinical people, and our state and national regulatory agencies is by challenging that comfort level. Hey, this stuff is good. Hey, we're doing this. Hey, this material is relevant. It's it's it works for us. We learn from it. You need to start accepting it. You need to start allowing us to use this for credit. You need to start um, being more broad about what you accept and and you know, let's take a look at the rules that for years we have had in place in all of our regulatory agencies nationwide and overseas and look at these rules and why are they there and what do we need to change? Because we do need to change. We need to move forward. We need to grow. And we have a tagline for our show and our network, and it's always been hashtag do better. Um, you may even, you may see some people walking around the conference with that on their shirts. Um, it's just us. And it's, it's kind of a mantra that we've always kind of wanted to keep because you will have people who, you know, are kind of, you know, slaves to the norm and don't actually change things. So there's a lot that we can do. And I don't just, I don't mean we up on the, you know, up on the stage here, the people that are in the room with us and the people that are listening, you know, we can change education. We have the tools available to us. And there's a lot of things that are fairly cheap uh, and inexpensive and easy ways to get information out. You know, we talked about a lot of things today, but if you're running an education system, you can make something, you know, building an app is actually fairly easy now. There's websites that will build an app for you. So you can say, you know what, I want my program to have this type of information out to my students. We're going to put together this app and, you know, then they can actually use that. So that's something that can be built. Do a YouTube channel. It takes five minutes to set up. Right. It's also free. YouTube is free to do, which is why we have so much misinformation out there. But that's a whole other well, conversation that's topic the, that's for, another <laughs> for episode. a different time. You know, but that's the other thing. Is like, you know, most people that have smartphones have a smartphone that has a camera on it. The camera has decent audio at this point. You can make your own FOMED just in five minutes sitting over in a corner recording yourself on a phone. So this is all something that we can all do. Um, and it's something that you can use to make your program better. And we do want to know what you guys think. If you're not following us on social media, please do. We're the overrun almost everywhere. Uh, we're over on EMS on Twitter and over on productions on Facebook and Instagram. We're at overrunproductions.com. The podcast is overrunproductions.com slash podcast. And for the overrun, I am Ed Bowder. I'm Dan Schwester. I'm Mike DiFilippo. I'm Kevin Mazza. I'm Jess Mastercola. And I'm Anna Ryan. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Get home safe. Thanks, everybody.